I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm talking about predestination. I think there's a lot of things, even believers that say they believe in predestination, they don't understand. The more I study predestination, now I've been studying for 64 years. I'm 81 now. I spent my lifetime. I went off for some years and found out just how evil my heart was. I believe unless God pulls you out of the depth of sin, you you may grow up in a Christian home and everything was goody-goody and you were goody-goody and your mom and dad were goody-goody and nobody was ever off in the depths of sin. I've been in the deep sin. When I was a little boy, I was very, very good little boy. My father was a hard-nosed man. We were always very poor. I had paper routes, worked in grocery stores to get enough money to buy my clothes. I bought all my clothes from the time I was 12 years old up to this day. I had all my, made all my own spending money, either throwing papers or being a sacker in a grocery store. My father was a very hard man. I didn't ever understood him. He would cuss, call himself a preacher. He'd do things like run people off the road in a car, screaming and yelling at them. You can't, that's not Christianity. That confused me really bad. I was the best little kid you could find anywhere. Just didn't cuss, didn't run around with anybody who did, wouldn't go on the playground with guys. I grew up and became a gospel singer, and I learned to be a sinner. Gospel music is really corrupt. They don't know anything about the truth. Tongues are not true. Pentecostal tongues, faith healing is not true. And they don't know nothing about predestination, and none of them ever mention it. Now, some people who claim to believe predestination claim they've got enough goodness in them to make decisions for God. And the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says you you were once dead in sin, and you hath he quickened who were dead. Now, what kind of decisions can a dead man make? He can't make any life decisions. Zero. And you hath he quickened who were dead. What is it that made you dead? You came to the law, like Paul said. He said, I was alive outside the law once. When was that in Romans 7? That was when he was a baby before he had come to sin. Sin. What is sin? It is the transgression of the law. You have to know how to transgress God's law. It's the transgression of the law. Transgression is the word anomia, A-N-O-M-I-A. That's over there in First John, the third chapter. And anomia comes the word nomos, and it's the alpha privet in front of nomos. That negates the word. Nomos is the Greek word law. It means no law. Well, there's three common definitions of the word sin 
in the Bible. One is in that one is in First John, the third chapter, and verse four. And then you have in Romans, Romans fourteen, the last verse says, "Whatsoever is not of faith, what is not." Of faith is sin. We had to find out what faith is. So it's saying if you don't have faith, it is sin. Well, people that have never been born again have no faith in God. And they can't have anything to help them get into the kingdom of God. Well, that's one of the definitions to the last verse of the 14th chapter. Then you have in James, the fourth chapter, chapter 4, unto him that knoweth to do good, know to do good, and doeth it not, do not, to him it is sin. These are the three most common definitions for sin in the Bible. Transgressing the law. A baby does not know how to transgress the law. A baby cannot have death to self because he's not into self. Now some people have said, but if a baby cries, he just said it wants its way. No, if it could say, would somebody change my diaper please? It would say that. Or if it could say, I'm hungry, but it doesn't know any English. And it can't say that, so all it knows is to cry. So, babies don't know. They can't have faith. Faith is death to self. It can have death to self. It doesn't know it's not into self. And it, and that word good is the word kalos. That's not, that's not the word... We know that all things work together for good. That's the word agathos. Agathos means beneficial. That's what God does in us. So to him that knows to do, the word kalos means what is beautiful in the eyes of God. Or it's the common word for honest all through the New Testament. Honest. Unto him that knows to be honest And the whole context of that is about bragging about what you're going to do on certain days when you get into a certain place. And the Bible just says, don't brag about what you're going to do. That's dishonesty. What you're supposed to do is to say, if it be God's will, I will do this and that. God's will has to precede everything. So we have nothing good in us. Nothing. If we ever learn how evil our hearts are, our hearts are evil. As soon as we come, as soon as we come to good and evil, that is the tree in the garden, good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As a human, we go straight to evil. That's what we do. And then we die. Paul said sin took occasion. As soon as, well, let me read that to you. Look at Romans, Romans. And we'll go to the seventh chapter if you want to follow with me. Romans 7. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, he said, I was was alive. 
And let me let me say this real slow and real clear. <clears throat> Verse six. Now we are delivered. Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, we were dead under the law, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in oldness of letter. The law is in two parts. The letter is the rituals. And the spirit is, that is the real thing, the spiritual. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. He's saying, here is how I knew sin and how I recognized it. But by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said. Now, if it's the law is saying something, you can't read the law or hear the law when you're a baby. I don't know how old you have to be to die when you come to good and evil. Six, five, seven. I knew I was praying to God at seven years old. And I had not known covetousness I had not known lust unless the Lord said, Thou shalt not covet. Pleonectes. P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S. Means to want more any way you can get it. You don't come to that until you get old enough to know that you want more of your own way. Then he says in verse 9, 8, verse 8, But sin taking occasion by the commandment, sin took occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, epithumio. Epi means to cover with thumos, hard breathing. It means to partake in that which is unlawful. Worked in me concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Sin, sin was dead in a child that hasn't come to the knowledge of good and evil. For I was alive without the law, or outside the law once. When was that? When Paul was a baby until he came to sin. But when the commandment came... Sin revived, and I died. If he died, that what precedes death? Life. You can't say a rock out here is dead. It never did have life in it. To have death, you have to have been once alive. And he said I was alive outside the law once. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. To be slain means to be killed. What killed him was the law, when he knew right from wrong. And babies don't, six-month-old baby, or a six-week-old baby doesn't know that. Babies don't go to hell. You don't know how wicked your heart is when you die and you come to sin. There's not a measurement in hell for sinners that go to hell. 
if you're a good Baptist deacon and you never really were born again, you'll go to hell and spend eternity with Adolf Hitler. It's not a good hell for good sinners and a bad hell for bad sinners. It's not like, well, I was a Baptist deacon. You probably should be deeper in hell than Hitler. Because Baptist deacons think they own the church and run the church. So he was said, I was alive outside the law once. But when you're dead, you're dead. And the Bible says, And you hath he quickened, Ephesians 2 and 1. And you hath he quickened, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. That is the word quickened. Poel means to make zoo. You go to a zoo to see living animals. It means to make alive. You had nothing to do with making yourself alive. You were dead. How dead is dead? Well, it's dead. That's it. You didn't have any good thing in you to cooperate with God. I Like I put up here, you couldn't cooperate in making yourself alive. But there's only one problem there. When he makes you alive, that's the inner man in you. The inner man is made alive. You got two men in you if you are a believer. If you're elect of God, you got the inner man, but that's the new birth, and you didn't have anything to do with that. New birth, that's Christ in you. Christ in you. And that's the hope of glory, Christ. But you didn't have anything to do with that inner man coming into you. You were dead. D-E-A-D, dead. Dead men don't make life decisions. You can't go down to a funeral home and your grandmother's laying in a casket there and you can't say, Grandma, I love you now. I've brought you some food. I brought you a hamburger from Burger King. I know you hadn't eaten in three days. You've been laying in this tomb and this casket for days now. You must be hungry. She's dead. She can't come alive. She can't make living decisions. That comes by Christ. And when he births you, he births the inner man in you. That's the kingdom of God that's in you. Kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you in Luke 17, 20, and 21. Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? The Pharisees said they said the kingdom of God is in you. If you're a believer, it's in you. There's not a thousand-year reign. It's not true. That word thousand is kilia. Kilia, it's plural. It means 2,000 or more. And the whole point of the 2,000 years, it's from Acts 2 to the end of time, to the end. Well, we're pretty close to that. Acts 2 was about 33 A.D. That's about the time that Jesus died, 50 days before that. And the Bible says that this 1,000 years for one thing, so that the nations would not be deceived anymore. Nations not deceived. 
the key to that phrase in Revelation 20 is defining the word nations. That's Revelation 20 and 2. The word nation is the word ethnos. Ethnos is also the word Gentile. There's only one place where the Gentiles will not be deceived. That's the Gentile church for the last 2,000 years. There's not a millennium. There's not a pre-trib rapture. We're going to be changed at the last trump. When the last of seven trumpets sounds in Revelation 8, 9, and 10, the last one sounds, the seventh one, the end of time is here. There can't be a pre-trib rapture because we're going to be changed at the last trump at the end of time. And Christ has got one full in the land, the other in the sea, and says time is no more. All these go together. So, Christ is in you. The kingdom of God is here now. It's not a thousand-year reign. There's no pre-trib rapture. We'll be changed at that last or the seventh trump when Christ has got one foot on the land and the other on the sea. It says time is over. Well, if there's a pre-trib rapture, wouldn't seven years be time? If there was a thousand-year reign, wouldn't that be time? Yeah, but time is over at the signing of the last trump. I don't know why preachers can't see that. You have to be brainwashed not to believe that. So what you've got in you is the inner man that was by the will of God. We were born. That inner man is the new birth. We were born not of blood. It's actually plural. Blood is plural. Not of two bloods is what it's saying. Not of two bloods. Two bloods would be mother and father. In early medicine in the early 1900s, they thought the blood only came from the father. That's what the doctors thought. That's what uh, the writer of chemistry in the blood, uh, which was a famous book in the 40s, and Dr. DeHaan said that blood came only from the father well since then we've discovered it comes from the mother and the father so we're born not of a physical birth that comes from our mother and our father not physical birth not two bloods that should say we were born not of two bloods it's not something you inherit that's what that means not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You can't cooperate with God with your fleshly body to will yourself into the kingdom. That's the natural man. You can't do it. You're dead. You don't have any good thing in you. There are people that claim to believe that say they're saved by grace through faith and they hate the doctrine of predestination because they don't know how wicked their heart is you know what I believe some of it is God hasn't turned them loose in the world and let them just go out there and send up a storm and then crush them under his hand and say do you know how wicked you are now that's what he did to me 
I'm not saying in 250 military-based nightclubs across America. Let me tell you what's in nightclubs. You can't tell me what's there. Sin, that's all. Women putting the make on the band. I know what's there. It is nothing but sin. So we're dead in sin and there's an outer man. This is what Paul says. There's an outer man and it serves the law of the flesh. If there's anything good in you, it's the inner man that God put there and you were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And that word will in John 1, 13 is the word thelema. It means determination. Your new birth was determined by God. There wasn't an ounce of goodness in you to do anything right. If you are a believer and you think there was, God hasn't dealt with you yet. He's got to open up your heart and show you how dark it is. When God shows you how dark your heart is, you don't go, Whoopee, praise God, I love Jesus with all my heart. Hallelujah. You don't do that. You drop your head and say, Oh, God, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. You're like that publican. You're like... God, why did I do the things I did? I've done that. I even think about that from time to time. Now, God won't remember them anymore, but I can't forget it. I know what sin is like. I've been there, done that. If you are a pretty good guy and you've never really had the chance to get out there in the sin of the world, that's probably the difference between I don't mean this in a boast. I mean it in shame. That's probably the difference between me and John MacArthur. He preaches predestination, but he doesn't get as hard on sin as I do. Because I've been there. He grew up as a, in a Christian home with a Christian father and a, and a Christian preacher as his father. And he married and just everything was taught to be real good. And, and he grew up an intelligent man. But he's never been in the sin that I've been in. That's why I hate sin so much and why I'm so blunt and straight to the point about people who hate predestination and they hate the truth of the Word of God. And you hath he made alive. You don't do one ounce of anything to make yourself alive. Nothing. And when you're in... When Christ births himself in you by his will, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. What he does is plants that seed in our hearts. He just simply picks out who he wants to and puts that in them. And if you think you can cooperate with him, you are really badly mistaken. See, you really believe you got some goodness in you, and that's nothing but the devil's doctrine. That's hell's message. It's just like Luther said in his bondage of the will. He said, free will is a downright lie. And that's what it is. It helps people to go out here. It kind of allows them to go out here and say, well, I got saved and I'm okay, so I'll just go live the way I want to. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You can't live the way you want. You can get out there and sin. And all the time I was out there being a 
gospel singer and a pop singer. God was beating me in the head, and I knew all along that I was wrong. But I couldn't make up my mind to live right. He had to make up my mind over years of beating me. What do you mean God will beat you? He will scourge every son he receives. What for? Well, so we can be partaker of his holiness. Now, I'm trying to be partake of God's holiness as an old man. I am tired of the old Jim Brown. The old Jim Brown makes me sick. What I used to be, I don't like. I don't like that guy. I've said this so many times. If I could back up, just go back at 81 years old and find me at about 32 or 33, I would slap me so hard and say, behave yourself. That's what I feel about the old Jim Brown. If you don't feel that way about yourself, there's something wrong with you. You really haven't found out just how dark your heart is. Boy, I've... God has made me realize that. I've been in situations I could... Well, I won't say that. I just am so ashamed. But see, when you're repentant, you have to be ashamed of your of your sin, of your mind, of your heart, how it used to be. And it is only by the will of God. You don't have any will of your own when Christ is birthed in you. That's not your will. That's God's will. Because you're not willing to do anything right. Paul said, even as a believer, Paul said, even as a believer, how to perform that which is good I don't find in me, I don't find anything good enough in me to make a righteous decision to live right. Perform katergazomai, K-A-T-E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. Katergazomai means to fully accomplish, fully accomplish. I don't know how to accomplish righteousness in me, Paul said. There's nothing good in me, even as a believer. That's why he tells the Philippians, work out your own salvation. Work out, in Philippians 2.12. That is the same word, katragazomai. And that's an imperative command to the, to the Philippians. Why would he say how to catergazomai? I can't do it. But he commands them to catergazomai. He tells them in the next verse what he's talking about. Philippians 2.13 It is God that worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God has to work in a man if he ever makes a right decision. There's nothing good in any man except Christ. That's it. If I'm trying to live right now, it's because God has beat me with an inch of my life. He has scourged me whom he, whom he loveth. If he loves you, when people say, I think God loves everybody. Well, then God has to scourge everybody and cause everybody to be a partaker of his holiness. He doesn't love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born. The scourge was a bloody beating. 
I used to wrestle with whether was that the scourge of Israel? Israel had a scourge. They would beat people with a stick. No, no, that was the Roman scourge. That was a mastix. Or mastigao. Now this is what God does to his children. Why does he beat them? Because they got nothing but sin in them. When he births Christ in you, most of what you've got is self. He's got a little bit of the seed of God birthed in you, but then that seed has to grow. Or that faith has to grow. Faith has to increase. And when faith increases, you have virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity, which is agape. And agape is walking in the commandments of God. That only increases when God causes this inner man to take over your outer man through years of fire and trials and scourge. And the scourge was a little whip. It had, it was a Roman whip. It had pieces of... It had it. Sometimes it had nine strips. When it had nine strips, they called it a cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails had pieces of glass and bone, and they would beat. They beat Jesus with a cat of nine tails till he was a bloody pulp. God says, "I'll beat my children to a bloody pulp." You say God wouldn't hurt his wife? Are you kidding? That's that's really crazy. The wife is not the outer man. The wife is the inner man. He'll cripple you. He'll break your legs. He'll give you polio. He'll give you, he'll give you some disease that'll cripple you so bad. He'll give you AIDS. He'll give you Ebola. He'll give you whatever he has to do to get your attention as one of his predestinated elect, and you don't have anything to do with it. If you ever get real righteous and real holy, holiness is the word hagiazo, H-A-G, or hagiazmos, H-A-G-I-A-S-M-O-S. If you've gone through a lot of trials, and this is getting your attention to God, you can be assured that this is God working in your life. That is a joy to know that when people have had all kind they've had cancer they've had they've had all kinds of problems maybe colon problems maybe uh, various things and you can't understand why you went through so much and you end up believing god that was a beating by god's mastigao so that you'll become holy it means holy is not something strange to us I was taught by my Baptist preacher, Father, holiness is something we know don't know what it's about. Yes, we do. Why would God pronounce on us, be holy for I am holy? Holy is the word hagios. It's a form of holiness that we get the scourge for. It means to beat. It means to be pure. To be clean. To be clean. What it has to do with is beating this outer man out of you over years and years and years. The outer man is sin. Paul said, with the outer man I serve the law of the flesh. 
people say, how can you say these things? Uh, why can't I be like you? Well, you're going to have to become 81 to get like me. Or 80 or 75 or something. Get older and have God beat you up till you're so sick of yourself. I don't want to live for the old man. I don't want to go back and be young. Being young is too hard. You got all that juices flowing in you and all that... All those hormones flying through your body. You know, I want to go do this and find this woman, find that guy, find this car, get this house. And I want to get this job and so I can be successful. That's not successful. There's nothing gratifying about physical success. It puts a burden on you where you've got to stay up at the top. That's what these stars will say to you. Once they get at the top, they want to stay up there. And all that's beating is for is to get you out of this desire for the flesh. And God will beat you until you throw your hands in the air and say, I give up, I surrender. He has whipped me to that point. You don't have anything to do. Look here in Psalms. In Psalms. The Psalms 110. You're never willing to do anything right. This is not cooperation with God. You're dead. You have nothing good in you. Psalms 110. Look here. Psalms 110. One ten verse three. You can't do anything right on your own. Paul said he couldn't even as a believer. How to perform fully accomplish anything? I can't do it. And he says, I got two men in me. One serves the flesh, and the other serves God. And that flesh, man, he's going to beat up until you give up. He says here. Look at verse 2. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people. Thy is possessive pronoun. God's people. Who are they? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, Jesus said. But that will only be when I whip them. Their coming won't be just one time. It will be constantly coming to Christ. Because God's beating up that old man. The old man won't die. He just dies hard. Thy people shall be willing. Willing is the word. Nedabah. N-E-D-A-B-A-H. N-E-D-A-B-A-H. Nadab means spontaneous or voluntary. But you don't volunteer yourself. It says you'll be voluntary in the day of God's power when he moves on you. But you won't be willing to come alive until he does it. And the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. I didn't understand that for the longest time. The womb of the morning means means when the morning is birthed, you'll get to a place in your life when you start saying, 
You wake up and you say, what can I do today for you, Lord? For years, I was in real estate. The first thing I'd do when I woke up, I'd reach over and grab the phone. We didn't have cell phones back in 1980. And I'd grab the self, I'd grab the phone, pick up a stack of of clientels and start dialing the phone at 7 o'clock in the morning. That's the first thing I thought of. Now, I don't think of that at all. I just think, Lord, what can I do today to serve you? Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. He said it only comes. Now, you'll say, well, doesn't a man, when a man is in his sin, doesn't he come to a place of being willing? Nope. He's never willing to do anything right. If you think that you had part in your salvation, God hasn't shown you your sin yet. He hasn't showed your capabilities to you. Well, he showed me. I was the best kid in the world. I didn't cuss. I didn't get around kids who cussed. I was just going to be a good boy all my life. I even prayed to God, and then I got out there in the gospel music world where they drank. They run around with women. Man, I thought I had died and gone to hell with a whole bunch of gospel singers. You guys know who you are. They know exactly who they are. They didn't like me because I was always speaking against them when I was out there. And that's your problem, bub. Now, nothing good in man. Man cannot make himself alive, and he can't even make himself behave and try to do right with God. Paul said so. Let me show you how evil your heart is. If you ever come alive, it has to be by God's will. It has to be by the Holy Spirit. The third chapter of John, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he said, how can I be born again? Can I enter my mother's womb a second time? Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In your new birth, if you can cooperate with God, that's like saying a person that never has been born can cooperate with their mother and father and cause the sperm to go into this particular egg. Because every sperm is different than every egg. If it was a different sperm and a different egg, it would be a different person completely. And there may be 600,000 sperm in one emission. And it has to come in contact with a particular egg to be that particular person. So if God is, if God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world... He has to make every man and woman connect together to bring about your time being that sperm and that egg to be you. And you're still a sinner. You don't have any... If you think you're good, you've really mistaken yourself. Look here in in Isaiah 64. It's one of my favorite verses on this. 
when people say I had to cooperate with God when I was dead in sin they'll say when I was dead I had to cooperate with God dead I had to cooperate with God and they say I had to pray a sinner's prayer pray a prayer when I was dead have you ever seen anybody call upon God when they're dead there's nothing good in them they're dead what he says here in 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 Isaiah 64 and 6 but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness all of our righteousnesses all of the believers righteousnesses are as filthy rags if you're a believer and anything you can come up with you have to come up with with that outer man and this is what the bible says that you are that's what this is what it's worth a filthy rag that word is ed ed pronounced a y d and it means a filthy minstrel cloth that's how righteous you are nothing and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind has taken us away us the believer And there is none that this verse 7, it's amazing. Let me go through it slow. There is none that calleth upon my name when he's dead in sin, that stirreth up himself, calleth. You don't call on God when you're dead in sin, that stirreth up himself. It, what it's actually saying when you're dead in sin you can't call on God stirreth up or and wake yourself from the dead wake self from dead you can't cooperate with God when you're dead in sin wake self up from dead that word ur means you can't call on God with a sinner's prayer to wake yourself up. How, how can we call on him in whom they've not believed? For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. You don't know how evil you are. That's why you think you got something good in you. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. If we have anything in us, it's God. It's not us. There's not one ounce of good in man. None. Well, he's shown me that. If you ever come to that conclusion, you'll begin to see that. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart it don't mean that mean doesn't mean any particular heart it just means the heart of all men is desperately wicked it's unclean who can know the heart of man who can know it 
It's desperately wicked. There's nothing good in a desperately wicked heart. If you think you can cooperate with God, you just don't know who you are. And you don't know who God is. God is a righteous God. And he can send people to hell if he wants to. People say, well, I just don't think that's right. Hath not the potter power of the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor Jacob and one to dishonor Esau? He loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born, for either one had done any good or evil, and Esau didn't have any goodness in him to come to God or wake himself from the dead. We're all the work of God's hands. Man has an evil heart. Let me read some things to you. Man is ignorant spiritually. We've talked about that over in Second Peter. It's been a springboard verse for this message. If you think that you can cooperate with God to get yourself saved, to get saved. You can't get anything when you're dead. There's that verse over there, 16 of Second Peter, third chapter, talking about the epistles of Paul. Peter says there are things that are hard to be understood. And he says the reason they're hard to be understood is because men are unlearned. I'm a face. That comes from mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S, which is the word disciple. It means a learner. And the alpha privative in front of a word negates the word, gives an opposite meaning. It means no learning. That's what amethyst is. It's they are unlearned. People think they have got an opinion about the Bible. I get emails from people, and they start instructing me on the Bible, and they never mention a Greek word, never even mention a scripture, because they think that God wouldn't send people to hell on purpose. Yes, he will. They're called vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. They think God doesn't have a right to do that. That's your 20th and 21st century reasoning. And God says, you can't think like I think. And they're unlearned and they're unstable. It means they're not founded. Asterao. Sterao means to be planted or be firm, founded. Be rooted. The alpha prudent, the gate set. It means they're not firm in anything. And they rest the scriptures. If you think that you can cooperate with God, you are resting the scriptures. Rest, strablao. You say, Jim, you are awful dogmatic and emphatic. I've spent a lifetime in this book. I'm very dogmatic about it. You can't cooperate with God when you're dead in sin. Even as a believer, you can't perform that which is good at all unless God scourges you and causes you to be holy after a fire and trial of a lifetime. You can say, I've got fire and trials. You evidently hadn't had enough to make you surrender.
Everything that's going on in the life of a believer is for his good. Let me take you back over here to take you back over here to Galatians. You say what when a man is if a person is a sinner in sin and God has predestined them to be one of his children doesn't that kind of leave them up to themselves to make a decision no if you're dead you can be living life you can be going along in life living your life whistling going along skipping along singing some song and you're just skipping in life and this is while you are dead in sin dead and God comes to a place one day where he's going to convert you because you are one of his predestinated elect but this has nothing to do with you because you're dead you came to a place where you learned good and evil and death took occasion the law took occasion by the commandment and slew you and you became dead by the law and all the time that you were in sin, you were God's elect. If you were God's elect while you were dead, there's no way you could die. No way. You could die at that time. And this says so right here in Galatians 3. Verse 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin, and that's talking about everybody in the world is under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, but believe is the verb form of faith. Faith is a gift. God has to put that in a man's heart. But before faith came in your life, while you were here, Faith had not come in your life yet. What is your condition right here while you're dead? Or right here while you're dead? Or right here while you're dead? This tells you right here. If you're one of God's predestinated elect family, before faith came, you were kept fro reo while you were out here in sin. P H R O P H. R-O-R-E-U-O. Froreo. Froreo means God is watching over you in advance, keeping you till you get to the day that he wants to birth you. That's what it says. You were kept while you were under the law, shut up unto the faith. The word shut up is sunkleo, S U G. S-U-G-K-L-E-L-E-I-O. That's the condition while you were out here in sin. You were sunkleo. It means held together, enclosed. You were shut up, kept unto the faith. You were being kept by God 
until you got to faith and you had no decision in that. You were just walking along and God somehow you were heard some preacher preach or you picked up a Bible and began to read it for some reason and all of a sudden God cuts into your heart, makes you alive and you say, I believe that. It wasn't an invitation to him in a church. It wasn't a sinner's prayer. It was because God had this gift of faith to put in your heart. And you have to be saved by grace through faith. But all that the Father giveth me shall be saved by grace through faith. Everything in our lives has been ordained by God. Everything. I need to get back to something that I've been talking to you about. We've been talking about everything is of God. Every action of our lives are of God. God said, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah 45 and 7. What is the evil for? A-I-A-H. Isaiah 45 and 7. God says, I create evil. Now the excuse, some, I have a guy that sees me once in a while at the post office. He's a parent of Baptist and claims to believe in predestination, but he doesn't believe that God creates evil even though the Bible says it. And he comes up and says, well, that word evil is raw. That, he doesn't say what it is. He says, that, that word evil just means calamity. Well, it sure does. It's the word raw. R-A. It's the same word. Every time you find evil in the Old Testament, it's the same word the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Eve ate of and she died spiritually. It's calamity when when some Arabs get into two airplanes, crash them into the World Trade Center, and people die. They murdered. It was calamity, and it was created by God. When he said, I create evil, he's talking about how he caused Cyrus to invade Babylon and to kill all these people in Babylon, overthrow the evil king, Belshazzar, and deliver Israel from the bondage and give them a decree to go back to rebuild their temple and then a following Persian king would call them to go back to rebuild their city. That was for the good of Israel when God created that evil. I've got a paper that I've written. All the evil in the world is for our good. All of it. I got this paper that I formed. I just took verses out of the Old Testament about God doing the evil. When you come to this realization that God's doing everything in your life that's good and bad. Only thing is, all the bad stuff, which is evil, when somebody cheats you out of something in life, 
God is teaching you a lesson not to deal with people like that. A lot of times when we start dealing with people and we want our way, we think that, and they do us wrong, well, first of all, we're not supposed to be dealing with people like that. God has taught me through years of experience not to get involved with certain people. When I get involved and I can't help it and then something happens that's wrong, I'll just say this is the will of God. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. And everything give thanks. Everything means everything. It don't mean in the good things. I've heard preachers say, that means in every good thing. No, it doesn't. It means in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Everything is working together for our good. The bad as well as the good. All those things I went through in the 60s and 70s that I didn't think I could live through, it made me to be the man that I am today. One that is trying to live godly and holy. I'm not trying to be goody-goody. I'm trying to live pure as much as without sin as I can. That's what I'm trying to live for the Lord. And at my age, you should be able to, you should be doing that when you're in your 80s, good grief. I don't hold anything against anybody. Every evil that people did to me, and I used to hold it against them, and I wanted to go beat them up or fight them or shoot them or something or kill them. Were you like that? Yes, and so were you. There's no temptation taking me, but such as is common to man. It's common to you. I know that. I have owned up to who I am and admitted who I am. If God ever reveals to you who you are, you won't think you've got any goodness in you. But if you think you have abilities, if you think you have abilities to accept Christ or do something good without God doing it in you, then you really have a lot of experience to go through yet. I've got a paper here. I've read a bunch of it. In Second Kings twenty-one twelve, after Manasseh had done all of his evil, passing his children through the fire, he was a king of southern Judah. And he was a very wicked king. The Bible says he did more evil than all the kings before him. His name was Manasseh. And God said, just because of that, thus saith the Lord, I am am bringing evil on Jerusalem. Whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. I, God says, I will wipe Jerusalem clean as a man wipe of the dish, wiping it, turning it upside down. When God does it as he said he would at the hands of his servant Nebuchadnezzar, millions will die in the process. God says, I'm doing it. I'm going to cause Nebuchadnezzar to come in and level Israel because they went after all these sun and tree gods. And it was the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass or Christmas. God will use a pagan king with swords, bows, arrows, knives, 
What is the difference to whether God sends a pagan king or a bunch of serial killers with 357 magnums in their hands? They're all killers and murders that God is using to perform his will and judgment. God's dish rag to wipe Jerusalem clean was Nebuchadnezzar, which he used to wipe Jerusalem clean as a plate, turning it upside down. He says in chapter 22 of Second Kings, Thus saith the Lord, I will bring evil upon this place. I bring the evil. People say, God don't create evil. Well, it's evil when he causes the king of Babylon to come in and slaughter people. Second Samuel 24. When David numbered Israel, when God gave David a choice of evil that he would bring on David because he numbered Israel and took credit for all of his victories when he had over a million people in his army. David had forgot when he had only 400. God delivered him from Saul with thousands. David chose. God says, you have, you got a choice. Seven years of famine, that'll come from me. You'll flee from your enemies for three months. Or three days of pestilence, that'll be from my hand, David. David chose three days of pestilence from God. And God killed 70,000 innocent men who had done nothing to deserve to die. When the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord turned from the evil he was doing. That's scripture. And he said to the death angel, which was probably Michael, it is enough. God says, this is the price David owes me for his sin of merely numbering the people and taking credit with his great army of a million eight hundred thousand. He forgot about the 400 when God conquered his enemies. Did David sin? Oh, yeah. Adultery and murder, and he repented of it. David was a human just like us, and he was a man after God's own heart. God is saying, it's not your numbers that did it, David. It was my power. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. 70,000 dead is punishment. It is the price I require for your pride, David. Watch out that God don't require your children. And he says the same thing in First Chronicles twenty-one fifteen. And then in Second Chronicles 18 and 22, the Lord put a lying spirit in thy prophets. God causes lies. He causes liars to lie. God does evil. And then in Second Chronicles 34, thus saith the Lord, I will bring evil upon this place, even all the curses that are written in the book, because Israel hath forsaken me. And then Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah contends with the nobles of Judah because Israel in the kings hath rebelled against God. God scattered them, putting them in captivity in Babylon. Nehemiah rebuilds Jerusalem 70 years later. 
and the people come to the gates of Jerusalem in preparation to defile the Sabbath and rebel against God once again. Nehemiah speaks to them. Did not your fathers thus? Didn't your fathers do this generations ago? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us? And we're in captivity and upon this city, Jerusalem. Didn't God do that? Nehemiah's reference to the evil that God did is talking about the sacking and burning of Jerusalem 70 years before, along with raping and pillaging by the soldiers of Persia. Nehemiah said God did that. God did that evil of destroying his people by the hands of evil man. And this goes on and on. How much time to have, Mike? 28. 28. I'm going to read some more of this. When Satan came before Job, uh, came before God in the first chapter of Job, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? How he's richest of all the people in the land, and that he escheweth evil, and he's a righteous man. And Satan said, Ain't no wonder he's serving you. You've surrounded him with a hedge of wealth. And you've given him everything. If you turn him over to me, I'll cause him to curse you and die. After all Job's substance was destroyed, his servants killed, his seven sons and three daughters were killed by a wind that blew the house down where they were. Job gave God credit for all this evil when he said, The Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Name is the word Shem. It means authority. He said all this was by God's authority. When God told Satan he could have Job, he said you can take all he's got, but you can't touch his body and you can't kill him. You got that, Satan? He said, yes, sir, I sure do. So he destroyed all of his wealth. And the Bible says in verse 22 that Job's word were verified when he said, The Lord taketh away. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly with something he didn't do. God says, Job tells the truth about me. I killed his children. And then his wife comes along and says, won't you curse God and die? Even his wife knew it was God's doing. And Job says to his wife, What shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not also receive evil? God is saying, Job tells the truth about me. I brought evil on his house. And Job says in Job 30 and 26, When I looked for good and I was wealthy and I had everything, then evil came unto me, and when I waited for light, there came darkness. The precedent is set for this verse in Job one twenty two and Job 2.10. That is that this evil comes from God. Job 42 and 11. This happens to the believers. Job was a believer. What was God doing? He was scourging him, refining him. 42 and 11. 
The Bible says Job's brothers and sisters and acquaintances comfort Job over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. That was God's scourge, so Job would be blessed. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. When God creates evil, it's for our righteousness. Deuteronomy 28, he says the same thing. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten when you go after these other gods. If you do not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, thou shalt be removed. That's the deportation by Nebuchadnezzar and by the Assyrian kings. He'll cause you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. They removed all over the earth and they'll be brought back at the end of time and they'll become one nation and that's going on right now. This is the prophecy of deportation. On the port part of Babylon, this murder, rape, and pillaging is sin that God orders them to do. Jeremiah is the last great prophet before Israel's captivity in Babylon. He's crying in the streets of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar is coming to bring judgment. God is bringing him. That's Jeremiah's voice. Because they were going after Bel and the Grove and Shemosh and Molech and all of these sun and tree gods, and that tree was the Christmas tree. This verse in Job one fourteen and fifteen. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north, and evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of Judah. Babylon came out of the north. Babylon was east of Jerusalem and Israel. Babylon is over here on the Euphrates River. That's Babylon. Then over here in Israel, over here, directly east of Babylon is the Arabian Desert. So they couldn't come from the east. There was thousands of miles of desert. They had to come north, come and attack southern Judah, and they had to go about 650 miles since they had to come north and come down. So when it says this will come from the north in the first chapter of Jeremiah, that's how Nebuchadnezzar came in. Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon the inhabitants of Judah. It's amazing how the Bible speaks of the evil that will come. Before I lose time today, let me get back to what I was talking about last week. I want to go over here to Hebrews. This has to do with all the evil that God is bringing. You have to be thankful for it. Nothing is going on in your life or mine that's not the will of God. Nothing. If you are, if you've got a disease, you can't get around whatever it is it's for your good it's to get rid of that outer man let me erase this all that evil and Israel didn't have any I want to ask you something if the if the Gentiles were blind from Adam 
all the way to Jesus except for a certain few, particularly Acts 2. Jesus was killed 50 days before the for Pentecost in Acts 2. If the Gentiles are blind and in the dark, who kept them blind except to God having grace over a certain few? I believe Nebuchadnezzar was a believer. He's the one that said that God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he pleased and none can stay his hand or say that he does what he wills in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay the hand of God or say to God, what are you doing? What doest thou? Nobody. God does as he pleases. He brings evil in our lives for our good. It's to hone us. You know what it is. It's just like a wooden lathe. You put a piece of wood on a lathe. It's just a square or a block. And it starts spinning the lathe. And God picks up Satan as a tool. And he starts carving that. And that piece of wood is you and me. And he carves. And he says to Satan, back off. Move over here. Now carve here. Now back off. Now carve here. And when it's when God's through with it, God takes it off the lathe and it is a beautiful column. That's our lives. He uses Satan as a tool to carve us to be what he wants us to be. Satan is not an independent God. He's not the God of this earth. Jehovah is the God of this earth. There's only one God and he blinds the eyes of the Gentiles and he opens them so that so that the nations will not be deceived for the last 2,000 years. I believe we must be close to the end of time because the days of the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And the world is depressed because we're having tribulation such as was not from the beginning of the world, no nor ever shall be. And it's about to get worse and worse and worse. Now, where was I going? Back over here. You have to learn that everything that's happening is the will of God. There is a spiritual Sabbath. Sabbath does not mean seventh. doesn't mean that at all. The word Sabbath in the Greek or the Hebrew It has one meaning, rest. Now what makes us rest, when you begin to believe that everything is of God, when you think you've got enough goodness in you to do right, or you think you've got enough goodness in you to accept Christ, and you have to make a decision, you're not resting. You're not involved in the spiritual Sabbath. The more we believe that God is sovereign, that means overall, including the evil. The more we believe that God is over everything, the good and the evil, and every bit of everything that's happening in our life is for our good. We know that all things work together for good 
to them that love God. Just to them that love God. Not to the unbeliever. Everything works together for good to those that believe God. If you ever want to get involved in the rest of God, the older I get, the more I rest. Have you ever looked at old people and they're not worried about anything? At 81, I don't worry about the things I worried about at 65. I'm not even concerned. I'm not concerned. I've really learned something about Grace and Truth Ministries. Preaching predestination is true and God creates evil and Christmas is pagan. I am really resting. When I'm accused of all kinds of things on the internet by people, I just look at it and say, well, they don't know nothing. That's okay. They don't know what they're talking about. Leave them alone. Maybe God will deal with them. And I just don't get, I don't get stressed over anything anymore. Boy, if you get stressed in your 80s, you're crazy. You know that? You're going to go nuts. Well, you probably went nuts years ago and you're already dead. <laughs> you already died years ago. If you stressed all the way till your 70s, you probably had a heart attack and died and when you were 68, 69. I've learned something. Stress in the life of the believer is sin. I used to stress out terribly trying to accomplish things when I was young. I was going to be a famous singer. I was going to be a rich real estate mogul. And that's not God's plan for the life of a believer. His plan is for us to get calm and not worry about nothing. I'm so thankful to be my age. I I wouldn't trade places with a 25-year-old for all the money in the world. I get to, here before long, I get to transfer out of this and go be with Jesus. Why do I want to live longer in the flesh? Why do these Pentecostals and Charismatics, if they're really truly believers, why do they want to be healed? Why don't they want to die and go be with the Lord? Because most of them are not, because they're preaching false doctrine. Now, look over here in Hebrews. I don't know, I won't get far in this. One of these, one of these Wednesdays, I'll I'll get far with it. There's two words that are mentioned here that are equated with each other in this third chapter of Hebrews. Two words. One is the word sabbatismos. Sabbatismos. That's the word rest. It's a common word cease. Sabbat S A B B A S T I S M O S. That's the word Sabbath. One of the words for Sabbath. It is equated or it equals katapasis. which is the word kata and P-A-U-S-I-S. Pauses is our word pause. It means to settle, 
down. It means to cease worrying, struggling. Kata means down. It means to settle down. And it's used to denote Israel coming out of out of Egypt, going over the Dead Sea, and going through this wilderness on the way back to the Promised Land. They come down here, and they come to, let me move this, they come to Mount Sinai, or Horeb, which is the same thing, Mount Sinai, in the south desert of the Arabian Peninsula. And they come to that, and they and they leave that. They leave that Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai lasts from Exodus, the eighteenth chapter, to Numbers. Numbers the 10th chapter and they leave in Numbers 10 they leave the mountain after Moses gets all the law uh, how to live in the 10 commandments in the 20th chapter starting the 25th chapter how to construct and all construct all of the furniture of the, the tabernacle and they head out and move up here to Kadesh Barnea Barnea And this this katapasis, or Sabbath, is referring to, in this third and fourth chapter, Israel coming up here through the land of Moab, Moab, crossing the Jordan River and entering into Canaan, which is called the katapasis of God the rest of God it's God's Sabbath so they're going that's a picture of the church going through the world for these last 2,000 years it's a picture of us we're going through that when they get to Kadesh Barnea and there's and God tells them tells Moses tell the men to go into this land of Anak and search it out and spy in the land and come back here at Kadesh and tell you what they found. Well, all the men 20 years old and upward, 20 years and upward, not all of them, but men who represent them go into the land. And they come back and they, they murmur against God. They murmur against God and say, these are giants in the land. They were called Anakims, A-N-A-K-I-M-S. And they were huge, tall men. And they went in there and they saw them carrying these gigantic uh, clusters of grapes. It took two of them to carry them on their shoulders. And so it was a rich land. Well, that's the southwestern portion of Israel which we call today the Gaza Strip Gaza Strip and it was the ancient land of the Philistines we know that that's where Goliath of Gath comes from Gath was one of their chief cities so they murmur against God here and God says because they murmur 
I conquered one of the largest armies in the world when they were coming out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and I killed the largest, most powerful army in the world by drowning them in the Red Sea. You would think that Israel would believe that God could conquer these giants if he could conquer the greatest army that had ever the world had ever seen at that point. But they murmured against God and said, we can't go into the land. So God says, everyone that's 20 years old and upward, and upward, why 20 years old? That was the age, that was the, I call it the draft age in Israel. That's how old you had to be to be in Israel's army. You had to be a 20-year-old. That's why when David in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, when he went out to fight Goliath of Gath, he was was one of the descendants of one of these Anak people, Goliath of Gath. That was the city of the Philistines. When David went out to fight Goliath, David is, David is portrayed in all these pictures as a skinny little shepherd boy, and he just kind of drawn up like I'm just, I'm going to swing this sling and I hope it hits the giant. That isn't what he was. It meant because he wasn't in Saul's army, he wasn't 20 years old. He was probably about 18. And those shepherd boys were wiry and fast and deadly with a sling. Some say they could hit a they could hit a hair's breadth at seventy five yards. That's how good they were. They were considered the sling was a deadly weapon. So David said, I'll go out there and he saw Goliath and he said Goliath said, What is this kid, this little skinny kid that you sent against me? David said, I come to thee in the name of the Lord God Almighty, and I'm going to kill you. And he hits him right between the eyes, knocks him out. David goes up, takes Goliath's sword, and cuts his head off, and he's dead. That'll kill you every time. (laughs) Anyway, but he says, concerning this entering into God's Sabbath, all these 20 years old and upward are going to die and they will not enter into God's Sabbath into the promised land because of their unbelief. Now that is the spiritual Sabbath that we are in when we believe that everything that's going on is of God. These giants, it just didn't look like they could any possible way they could beat them. And two men said, we'll go take that Caleb and Joshua said, we'll go in. So because because all the people except Caleb and Joshua, all the men 20 years old and upward, because they murmured against God, God says, you'll wander in the desert for 40 years. I sent you in there and you spied the land for 40 days, so I'm going to take a year for a day. 
And that's why you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Till I kill off all the unbelieving people, all the unbelieving men that were 20 or upward as of the time of Kadesh Barnea. And he equates the promised land as his Sabbath and equates the Katapasis, the rest, the settling down in the promised land as being the Sabbath of God. And the reason they couldn't go in was because of unbelief. Do I have any time, Mike? Five. Five minutes. I'll read that one verse. Well, I'll read two verses to you. Verse 8, chapter 3, Hebrews. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. He's talking about when they refused. that They provoked God's anger and wrath. And he said they're not going to enter into God's catapasis. And he said here's why. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They didn't believe God. The more you believe God is doing everything and he's going to conquer all of your enemies, then you enter into the spiritual Sabbath. And that's the truth. The Sabbath, you can't... You don't have a literal Sabbath. All the rituals of the Sabbath, according to Colossians 2.14, were blotted out when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, the rituals. The law comes in two parts. The letter and the spirit. It's the letter that was blotted out. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. The spirit's the truth. What we're in is a spiritual Sabbath every day. When we rest in predestination. And we don't think that we're doing anything. It's all the will of God. You can say, what about Samson killing a hundred, a given killing a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass? That was the strength of God in the man. Wasn't because he was muscular. It was just God's miracle. God will overcome. I have learned this as I got older. If I stop stressing, and say, Lord, the battle belongs to you, not me. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's what the king said during the attack of Moab against him. He said that the battle belongs to you, God. It's not my battle. When you come to that place, I don't care whether you're crippled, whether you've got a disease, whether your wife left you, when you learn to accept the things that happen are the will of God, then you're believing God and you can rest in it. If I had to worry like I used to worry when I was in my mid-40s, I couldn't do it. It'd kill me. Stress, I believe, takes a toll on your body. I believe you secrete certain fluids in your body that is not healthy for you when you're under stress I was a sick and dying man at 45 I'm more healthy at 81 than I was at 45 I didn't think I could live to be 50 and that's when God changed my mind in a hospital bed 
And I said, Lord, you're going to kill me if I don't stop doing what I'm doing. I didn't even realize at the time I was saying, if I don't stop this stress trying to be somebody, trying to be special. I thank God for... I wish I could impart to everybody here what's going on in me. It's not because I wasn't a sinner because I was the worst of sinners. It's not because I didn't stress out. I stressed as bad as anybody till it put me in the hospital. I was knocking on the door of the hospital for years, and finally they let me in with my stress. Stress is the exact opposite of belief. Believing you stop stressing, you say, Lord, it's in your hands. What are you going to worry about when you're 81? Worried that I'm not going to be a success? No. I'm not concerned about anything anymore. I just say, I just work, I just study. Say, I'm going to preach Wednesday, then I'm going to preach Sunday, then I'm going to preach Wednesday, then I'm going to preach Sunday, then I'm going to preach Wednesday, and I'm going to preach Sunday. That's all I think about. Don't think about dreams up in the future. What do you got to dream about when you're in your 80s? Nothing. I just want to do the will of God and then die and go be with Him. That's it. Makes life simple. And I don't dread dying. I look forward to it. I'm tired of this old body. My body is old and wore out. Thank God for something better than this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. I pray that you'll give us a contentment in life. Even those that are younger, seeing what's coming upon the world. Lord, the best thing we can do is be content in your doing and in your work because we can't help it by worrying about it. Let us to your elect family those that you want us to reach. Cause us to be humble and compassionate and gentle and kind towards one another and to take a stand for the truth. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Oh, may.